makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. It's good for all of us to be here. You are listening to First Forces Radio. Antiochus and Ghost Horse sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopus, or what Americans and Dutch call the Catskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Asopus and the lands of the Munsee-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices IndigenousRadio.org for archive, downloading, and listing. Welcome to First Voices Radio, Curtis Unaga, who is an enrolled member of the federally recognized Delaware tribe of Indians in Oklahoma. And you can look up DelawareTribe.org. And he has over 35 years of experience in tribal government and administration, community development, telecommunications, and cultural preservation. He's also an acknowledged expert on Delaware or Lenape culture, language, and traditional practices. Curtis is co-director of cultural affairs for the Lenape Center based in New York City, And the center promotes the history and culture of the Lenape people through the arts, environmental advocacy, social justice, and agricultural practices. The Lenape Center's work represents the return of the original indigenous peoples to their original homeland of Lenape Hoking, which is New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And you can also look up the history through the Lenape Center. That's the L-E-N-A-P-E center.com. And Curtis is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma and veteran of the U.S. Air Force. I'd like to welcome you to First Voices Radio. It's an honor to have you here, Curtis. Wanishi, and it's an honor and a privilege to be on the program today. Thank you. Let's start with what I just read in your bio. It's called Represents the Return of the Original Indigenous Peoples to this area that we broadcast First Voices out of is near the, the, the town of Kingston, 
uh, near the near the Catskill Mountains, and it seems to be that's the the northern part of the Lenape where you you come from, New Jersey and and you're even down to Washington D.C. and areas like that. Now, how big that that nation is of the Lenape, but you like like it says that you know the history and culture of that, and what happened back then when the colonizers came to this land and what's representing that return to this day, Curtis? Uh, well, yes, the Lenape, and in many cases, their neighboring indigenous people like the Mohicans and um, the Lenape had a, a, a strong presence in the homeland, which is kind of about where Kingston is now and start heading south, it takes you all the way down into the Delaware Bay. So that picks up that important corridor between New York City and Philadelphia. And, um, you know, that all of that original homeland, the richness of the land, the spirit of the ancestors, the power of the ocean, and the freshwater rivers and streams combined, you know, it, it's, it, that personifies who the Lenape are, the ancient spirit. They were known as uh, Mahumsana in our language, the grandfather people, uh, one of the oldest known tribes in that. So with that legacy, then after European contact, uh, the land and the people were a, a, a target of ultimately the colonialism, the racist-based colonialism uh, that is the story of, of America today. Uh, uh, forced us out of that very homeland, spreading in different directions over a period of 120 years to ultimately places in Oklahoma, uh, a, a small reservation in Wisconsin, a couple of reservations in southern Ontario, Canada. So that collectively is where the Lenape were forced, forcibly removed to this day. I am living a life now where I am returning to the homeland. And at just as an individual first, I'm returning to the homeland and I'm getting connected to the spirit of the ancestors by just by getting out in the land, by standing at the banks of the water and offering tobacco and prayer and, and contemplation and meditation to connect with the spirit of the ancestors after having been separated for generations. Uh, that's what I try to do. And I'm, this isn't something I made up. We have Lenape or Delaware relatives that go back even just 50 years that were also doing this. And I learned from their example and I'm, I'm getting the benefit of that. So, you know, that's, that's my personal uh, benefit of returning to the homeland and trying to fulfill that connection with the homeland. What I'm really sensing is, that, which is among a lot of indigenous peoples these days, a return to consciousness, basically. And when I think about your return, it's that consciousness of the earth, that things after 500 years of being dormant, that we are now in this, um, I wouldn't say renaissance, because that's a European thing. Renewal will be another thing, but regeneration is that we knew in our prophecies that we would do this. Part of it, that's we're, we're living that prophecy out. And it's hard for it to, or a lot of people who think in a Western context, duality of it is uh, 
this is the right thing or the wrong thing, they want to say, but this is the thing that's eventually going to happen anyway, because it means a return to the ways of the earth. What do you think about that? You're quite accurate. And there, the way I'm personally manifesting that return to the earth, to be contemplative, to connect with the, not just the ancestral spirits, but the spirits of all creation. And the way I'm doing it is, <laughs> for the last six months, I've been working in a garden. I've been growing corn, beans, squash, tobacco, traditional crops on the very land that the Lenape ancestors were doing the same thing 400, 450 years ago when it was written by Dutch merchants and military governors that the Lenape were planting corn over there on that in that valley over there, they wrote. And here I am in the very same place bringing that practice back and using old seed Lenape corn, say Sapsing, it's a blue flint corn. A beautiful blue corn when it, you know, at harvest time. Um, I'm and I'm connecting with everything that goes with it, uh, humbling myself, digging my fingers into the soil, rematriation of traditional seeds, putting those. Uh, it, there's there's repatriation, getting things returned, but rematriation is taking those things, meaning these seeds, and putting them back into the ground and bringing forth that that life to regenerate practices and lifestyles and presence of the Lenape. And for me, Teokasin, for me, it is physically, mentally, spiritually uh, a healing and wellness endeavor. And as I've tried to share my story, I'm, I'm a, a microcosm, you might say, an example, a manifestation of this return to the homeland so that in a seeking to achieve wellness and healing, I am also addressing the long-term historic and generational trauma that our people took with them every step of the way on the trail of broken treaties, the, the journey of, of forced removal. They, there was a collective and historical trauma carried by those people who were torn away from our earth mother, our homeland that we knew only knew for thousands of years. And then we carried that with us. And by returning to the homeland, I'm connect, I'm trying to get that healing and wellness back. That's the way I'm doing it. And uh, it's working for me. I'm, I'm doing a lot better than I was a year ago. From the earth, getting the medicine with your hands, your feet, your whole being in that earth that your ancestors come from. People don't realize that the value of that. Um, I go back to the Black Hills, right? But I'm out here because the voice of indigenous people seems to be a similar stories. And but it's really renewable, uh, renewing to me, refreshing that I see all our peoples within Turtle Island doing that same thing no matter where they're coming from, but it's the, it's the vast amount of respect that I see between Native peoples. So, you know, I came out here, I didn't really ask permission of the Lenape people, but I asked permission of the earth if I could stay here until I'm able to do that time and see that 
the Lenape people and, and really get to know their history and things like that. So uh, I can live here in a good way without feeling like I'm overusing the land or taking advantage of the land, but also to keep the story as straight as I can from what I hear from people like you about the Lenape. And I think that's an example that you are um, showing rather than teaching. And by showing a lot of Native people learn through example rather than instructional. So as you would say, you're, um, the, the land is showing you how that regeneration is happening here. Um, and also when it comes to the history, you mentioned the Trail of Broken Treaties. That history is not talked about. It's a short conversation. So can you talk about when this Broken Treaties trail started to happen back in, what, 450, maybe even 500 years ago, 450 years ago? Well, uh, yes, it kind of depends on what incarnation we have been written about by first the Dutch, then the English, then the Americans, and the whole different forms of identification and recognition uh, over a period of time that informs people of our story, but through their lens. And, and that lens gets smaller and smaller and smaller as time goes by. It's very important that we become aware of the full depth of, and the truth of our history so that we can become empowered enough to return to the homeland, inform the colonizer of this history, which is not, it's, I'm not making this up. Uh, I'm going straight from the writings of the missionaries and the military generals and the merchants uh, and the, the politicians, uh, the colonial governors that issued scout bounties on the Lenape in 1756 in Pennsylvania. You know, those kinds of things. And we have a long history then of being recognized originally as the Lenape with the Dutch in, um, in some of their first encounters and some of the most famous being uh, the establishment of a colony, an original colony um, that ultimately was uh, on the island of Manhattan or Manhattan, New York. And uh, you, there's some people may be familiar with the infamous myth of the purchase of Manhattan by the Dutch from the Indians. Well, those Indians were the Lenape, and uh, it was a, a pure swindle. Um, and uh, uh, yet, the with that story in the through the lens of the of the colonizer, the they they got over on those dumb Indians and pushed them off the land, and then they took over. Then you have uh, after that when the English came in and overpowered the Dutch and took control of all of that fur trade area that was right in the heart of our homeland. Then the English changed our name. That's when we became known as Delaware. And that whole river valley that all went down past Philadelphia, that was the Lenape we took, the Delaware River Valley. And the English colonial governor at the time, in, uh, at, when they took over in the 18th century, the English colonial governor, Sir Thomas West, was the, he had a title of nobility. He was the third Lord D. La, 
War, W-A-R-R-E, and D-La-War morphed into Delaware. That's what the English began to call the River Valley and the Native Inhabitants after their colonial governor, Lord Delaware, right? So from that point on, that's our colonizer name. That's how we're recognized. And even to this day, I'm, I'm a enrolled member of the federally recognized Delaware tribe of Indians. We use that term Indians too. So I'm an Indian and I don't, I don't there's too many <laughs> words of identification. Uh, it, it's no insult to me and I make no insult. I'm an Indian, you know, I'm officially a Delaware Indian. But this is an example of, of colonialism when they take our identity, change our name, and quite frankly, on the trail of all of that, were uh, attempts to either convert the heathen savage Lenape into Christian Delawares or to just wipe them off the face of the earth as you're ta- taking their land. I mean, that's the cold, brutal, honest, short-term truth of the history, as you said, that's not being told. I'm trying to share this message and show these examples, but what is extremely important is that it informs us so that we can think about, well, what does that mean today? What is Okay, so that's all in the past. I got people telling me, my ancestors might've done that, but I didn't do that to you. Why should I be you know, why should I have uh, you, you say these things and make me feel guilty? Well, the answer is you're still living on stolen land. You are enjoying the benefits of colonialism. And I have lots of examples of how the Lenape, the Delaware, and collectively Native people are still disenfranchised from the power that is the, that the colonizer still holds over this country. And, well, I'll just stop it at right there. We can go back to how that came into play, so to speak, and how it also offered up a language of denial, as you just kind of had the the example of people not accepting responsibility for the benefit of living on stolen land. But the originality of that, as we know, a friend of ours, Steve Newcomb, came, has been studying the doctrine of discovery, and that comes into play just about every place we I step out the door, go to a local diner. You know, there's a dismissal of the native because I become an American to them. You know, that past is the past. But there's a, some somewhat of, someone described it this morning as not knowing the history makes an example of your and I conversations to be short or not even talked about, but more or less in dismissal so there is the future now. Now, Curtis Zuniga is coming home, so to speak. How are we as Americans going to receive that when, when this other thing behind Curtis and even with Curtis is this whole idea of land back? That's so fearful if I was a Westerner thinking, oh, you mean I got to give land back? Because that recently somewhat semi happened in Oklahoma when the, most of the tribes in Oklahoma were given jurisdiction on that land in Oklahoma. So, see, these things are coming to awareness, I would say. And these, these, this awareness is something so much out of context that they cannot really define it yet, which they want to do. But our experience with definition is 
We're not struggling with it. We know who we are, that we know where we're going and why we're here and where we come from. And I think that view from the shore that I often say is not the same as the view from the ships. And I think that's the difference. Well, I'm uh, I'm very blessed to be part of Lenape Center. I am a I am a co-director, and Lenape Center uh, was started about 13 years ago now. With the uh, it's an arts and a culture organization. I want to make sure that everyone understands as they're listening to me that. Uh, first of all, I'm no longer, I'm retired from the Delaware tribe. So I'm not bringing an official voice of my tribal council or administration, right? They got their own voice. Mm-hmm. I, um, when I now have been doing full-time work with Lenape Center, we are trying to combat the erasure of the Lenape, bring a presence that is uh, uh, at, its, at its core, one of culture, the, not just the survivance of culture, but to allow our culture to flourish once again. And culture includes language. Language is the foundation of all things culture. You know, and, and so this pushes me to become even a greater student of my culture and language so that I can put that into everything I do, even planting seeds and using the spirit of the ancestors and the language of the ancestors in my endeavors. I do all of this in returning to the homeland to fulfill the prophecies that you've referred to and to fulfill the call of the organization that I'm working for, Lenape Center, to return to the homeland, to take our place, our rightful place at the table of power and to bring our traditional knowledge and the spirit of the ancestors to a modern discourse and conversation about the social condition today. Because as you said, we are bringing it back 500 years later and we're dealing with issues today and climate change and environmental degradation is one that I have extreme concern about. And I say that, and this is something timely, my friend, when I heard just two days ago the governor of the state of New York, she was talking about uh, all of the snow out in western New York and and the blizzards and the challenges with their, you know, their state budget to be able to fight against all of the snow and the ice and all of that that's going on. And I heard her use this phrase. She said, we, meaning the state of New York, we are in a war with mother nature. She used that term. And I thought to myself, governor, why are you taking that attitude? I don't know if she was using a military euphemism to kind of talk about the, how, how, how intense the issue going on in, in Western New York around Buffalo and all of that. But to use that phrase, it, it, it hurt my feelings on behalf of the ancestors and on behalf of Mother Earth here because, man, you don't wage war with Mother Earth. You learn to live with. And, uh, oh, my goodness, that, that's an example, of, again, of colonial attitudes in today's power institutions. So, you know, we just got to keep bringing the message of the ancestors back and live it. 
and let the manifestation of our actions honor the ancestors and the earth. And hopefully we will find a place at the table of power and more of these stories of, of our who we are as indigenous people, who we are as the Lenape back in Lenape Hoking, the homeland. You know, hopefully that will be listened to more. And, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to be able to make a difference. The difference I'm making right now is in my own health and wellness and hopefully to that of uh, our beloved Mother Earth. Spoken so well, Curtis Zunaga. Thank you for joining us on First Voices Radio. I think about the ideas that you said about war with Earth, and I do know that is something that comes along with, you know, new world and new ideas. The Indians, the Native people, did they were ideologically viewed in this way as the Western world is because that's how they want to live. But it's not possible when you have attitudes, language that speaks of war with Earth as if they had to conquer it. But as you and I know, that Earth, you know, Earth was going to win. All the time, yep. All the time. No matter what we do, it's like, how do you how do you commit war against yourself? So to me, the, the antagonism and the conflict that we speak in, in English, in my language, there's no such thing as that. No, we're, we accept a lot of things, but it's not the same. Come here and run over us. You're invited to live here, but you weren't invited to own the place. That that's what Earth is basically saying. So I think that what you mentioned, that climate change, you know, I think that climate change needs indigenous peoples simply because of that war on Earth by the governor of New York. And the evidence is that sustainability in the relationship to the land is missing from that dichotomy of other humans coming here, the Western people coming here, thinking that they could present it a property and own even the ideas that we're at war with the Earth. What do you think about indigenous peoples? Um, climate change needs indigenous peoples. Uh, yes, that's been a part of my message too, because we bring 13,000 plus years of a holistic relationship with the earth and all of creation. That's the all embedded in our culture and our identity and our commitment and our obligation to take care of all of creation, to honor the gift of creation that we've had, to be able to still have language and culture to and those practices. That's what brings balance and harmony with the efforts of those who want to have a war with Mother Nature. And that's why it's important in when I talk about a return to the homeland and in my lectures and my writings and my uh, work with Lenape Center, it is to tell people the Lenape still exists in spite of near genocide. We have a beautiful culture and language and history and identity that we can still present. And we want a place at the table of power so that we can influence public policy today that doesn't think like that because we deserve to have a voice at the table of power and not just the rich white 1%. Now I'm, it's resonating with commun some communities, the educational community, the faith community, uh, people of color, you know, everyone is saying, yeah, you know, we want our voice heard too because we're still dealing with the remaining effects of colonialism in today's society in health issues 
poverty, economic disparity, and yes, environmental degradation. And that's Curtis Zuniga representing the Lenape Center's work with the return of original peoples to their original homeland of Lenape Hoking here in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. We'll return to the second half of First Voices Radio. My name is Teok Singh, Ghost Horse.
Still All Right by Daniel Ratliff. This is First Voices Radio. My name is Teokes and Ghost Horse. Thank you for joining us here as we continue with the interview with our Lenape friend, Curtis Zuniga, and is returning to the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area. Where do we go with, you know, having to go to them, to their table? When, when really they're avoiding the real round table of the earth and going back to the doctrine of discovery of, of 1493 and papal bulls that I referred to earlier is that there's a certain amount of human rights and citizens' rights, which includes religious rights of freedom to, to have religion or, or, or spiritual practice and weaker words. But there is this thing called natural responsibilities, the natural rights to a place as your people's memory. You do know where, what to do coming from there. The method of mechanics is that you cannot plan the land. You have to adapt your needs to earth rather than a, adapting the earth to our needs. Uh, yes, that, that's accurate. That's very accurate. Uh, again, I'm learning this as a an obligation, a generational obligation to engage in this kind of conversation, to open it up with, again, the uh, the colonizers' descendants, those that are still in the majority and hold majority power uh, over everything. I'm hoping that certain people that I address these issues with will begin to be a voice for Native people. And it's happening in the faith community. If you can make it a human rights issue and a religious freedom issue, I think that they're willing to be a, a part of the chorus of telling our story. We need to be the ones telling our story. But I think getting allies, and I found that in the faith community, even the Christian uh, community, uh, recognizes this. And then then you, you kind of say, well, look, if this is the belief of your Jesus Christ, your Savior, Mm -hmm. You know, what would Jesus do? Then, you know, think about that and put it into public policy. And again, by having our voice at the table, we can start influencing these areas of our life where there are still disparities and division and polarization that's affecting us today, not just lamenting about things that happened 100, 200, 300, 400 years ago. We're talking with Curtis Zuniga as the co-director of Lenape Sene. Let's talk about the anthology that you released, um, I think it was last year or even earlier part of 2022. But, you know, a lot of this goes through the poetry, through history, the governor's island, you know, what happened up north and the erasures that we, we hinted at, um, some artwork. And it's, it's a compendium of, of various voices. And, and I think that... This book that I'm looking at, the Lenape Hoking, an anthology, which edited by Joe Baker, yourself, and Hadrian Cummins. Well, Joe, Joel Whitney, actually, you're part of this. But I think part of it is relearning what indigenous peoples are, are coming to New York and Manhattan, as you say, and they're going to the UN 
I personally think a lot gets lost at the UN um, and our involvement is that it becomes too much information when it's very simple. This is Lenape land. This is how they do things here. So when I when my experience was at the UN, it was overwhelming. Why do all peoples come to this island? Maybe there's something that's either fulfilling or not. But I think part of it is is reading books like this to see maybe there's just filling in in the empty spaces that we need to. Yeah. Well, first of all, you mentioned the Lenape Hoking anthology, and I uh, I want to make one point clear. I, I was not involved in editing that. That was my two co-directors, Joe Baker and Adrian Cummins, that worked with Joel Whitney at the Brooklyn Public Library to edit this anthology, which is a combination of all of the um, historical essays. And yes, I did write one called The Forced Removal of the Lenape, uh, Steve Newcomb. Uh, wrote a chapter in there. There's there's several in there that tell uh, incredible stories about this history. But then, as you mentioned, there's also art, poetry. There were some beautiful uh, physical uh, exhibits of the men's shoulder bags, the, the bandolier bags that were so much a part of our culture, expression of culture for hundreds of years. That was the first Lenape curated exhibit in New York City. The first, Joe Baker, our executive director, and also an enrolled member of Delaware Tribe here in Oklahoma. He's the one that curated that exhibit. And it was a rousing success, even even with uh, COVID spiking at times uh, uh, earlier this year, last winter, actually. Uh, and then this, this anthology was uh, released in September. But it, it, it's uh, I'm hoping that more copies can be made available is very thought-provoking, but it, it is the beginning of the work that Lenape Center is doing to raise awareness of who we are, not just in the past, but the rich culture that we have to present and that, and that we are a living culture. And in doing so, then, the erasure that was made against the Lenape people, this is a way of combating that to bring back our presence. It is reaping benefits when people see this, read this, understand this, and want to learn more. Yes, it does bring fear into the hearts of those that want to hold on to land and, and power and money and all that that is represented in, on the island of Manhattan, the uh, center of trade and commerce. But, you know, it was the center of trade and commerce for the Lenape people long before the Europeans ever showed up. So uh, I'm, I'm very pleased uh, that uh, the Lenape Hoking anthology uh, is out there. We're, we're hoping to make more copies available. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, checked it out and uh, you saw some familiar names there yourself. I, and I really looked at it. You know, of course, I go back to the removal. And why would somebody remove a, a beautiful way of life, especially from this beautiful land? And of course, I can point fingers, but what I look for is not the hope. But what's required of Lenape people as indigenous people is that one in page 191 in Lenape Hoking and Anthology, part of the removal connotation was, is that in 1787, Pennsylvania militia attacked a group of Lenape who had returned to harvest crops planted the year before. Even that, you know, 
ambiguous statement, but really had returned to harvest crops planted the year before. So this is the whole idea, no matter what is happening to the Lenape, that you keep coming back to harvest plants that were planted generations before. So that, that's where I come in and, you know, and I think, wow, all these things that were committed that the Napi people are still coming back, such as yourself. And this is sort of the, what I want, not just a, an American dream story, but something that is, that is inevitable. That's what we all do anyway. And we should be doing. So have respect to ourselves, the earth. So we don't say we have a war against earth, but we've been calling it out this way of living is actually the war against Earth because of the extraction measures it goes to. Well, I'm I'm part of that return. I can hardly wait for the spring so that I can plant more seeds and uh, see how I can uh, bring forth uh, uh, these the plant life that benefits our people by putting wellness and good intention into my work. I hope to derive that from the benefit of the foods that come out of it and honoring the ancestors. And by the way, this, this past summer, um, the the um, spirit of Mach, the bear, uh, came out of the forest and got into my blue corn. And uh, I think they were tasting that uh, blue corn during its milk stage in August. Uh, and, and they were enjoying, I'm sure they were like in bear spirit talk, they were telling each other, Wow, we haven't had this stuff in a long time. Tastes good. Sami Wingon, it tastes good. And, they, you know, they kind of had their own memory. You know, I mean, they're, they're a spirit too, a powerful spirit. So, you know, I, I kind of had a truce with them. You know, you can have that much corn and I want this much. And let's see if we can work out something. And so I've got to deal with that again. But as you said, it's Mother Nature that dictates how it will be. And if you learn to live in balance and harmony with that, the, you won't have some of the uh, 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 mental uh, stress, the existential threat of having to be at war with Mother Nature. That's what causes a lot of problems. So before we go, I want to ask sort of a provocative question, if that if I could. The question I would have is, yes, recolonization, colonization, recolonization. But how far have we come as indigenous folks when it comes to, we can look, look at the world, but look at the United States. We can look at New York itself. We can look at the Eastern United States, Western, have, North, North America. How far have we come to really re-indigenizing this land? Or is it really not about re-indigenizing? It's about the land knowing who is still treating her indigenously. Look, it's been 50 years, 50 years plus since the American Indian Movement, which I think was part of an awakening. But in just 50 years, we've made small steps. And I think it's important to bring that cultural thinking into younger generations as part of the obligation of passing it down. Uh, but I think that we've got a long, long way to go to indigenize communities educational curricula and again the social condition and we need to get people to start wanting to work for their people instead of working for the colonizer now that's just my own i'm gonna it's rather frank talk but uh, uh if you can go out and get an education 
education like I've done and bring my uh, uh, degree in economics uh, to to the table, but also uh, uh, doing it in Indian country. That's uh, that's what I'm hoping a younger generation will do. Uh, but yeah, we're we're just now awakening and kind of you know flexing our presence. We got to quit talk, thinking like, uh, however, a colonized or so-called conquered people. Did I miss anything in this short interview? Because I'm sure throughout the year, the years here. We're going to keep bringing you back or some of your uh, colleagues and friends from the Lenape Center and those from Oklahoma, even going up to Ontario to bring those folks down here and really understand the land that we live on. And not that we exist here, but we live here now. And learning how to live in a, in a place takes time. And But we're not listening to the indigenous peoples. We're still kind of planning how to live here. So I think when you you talk about the prayers that I go deep and you're putting your hands in the, the corn and then the bear comes along and identifies that, that oh, I've tasted that one for a while. That's vintage. That's what it's about. So I, I like to just put it, leave it right there and give you a last thought. I want to thank you for the privilege of uh, being on this program and to share some of our stories. We have many more. Uh, both as Lenape Center, uh, myself personally, and as Lenape Center. And again, there are many voices representing the Lenape people. So perhaps in the future, we can have uh, uh, more opportunities to share our story. And again, it is a great privilege to speak with you today. And uh, thank you very much for your program uh, and what you do in Indian country. Well, thank you, Curtis. Tokshaake watching telo.
white-collar conservative flashing down the street, pointing their plastic finger at me. White-collar conservative flashing down the street, pointing their plastic finger at me. So let me remind that. Conservative flashing down the street, pointing their plastic finger at me. White collar conservative flashing down the street, pointing their plastic finger at me. Sixties were nineties by the beautiful people with Jimi Hendrix. 
singing, playing the backgrounds. You've been listening to First Voices Radio. My name is Tilkis and Ghost Horse. I'd like to thank you all for joining us this year, this past year, and 30 years, actually, um, year 31. This time, we're going to start it off with where I am in the Catskill Mountains here in lower New York and living among the Muncie Lenape people, Muncie-speaking Lenape people, and watching their return as much as I can understand. Yeah, just just uh, blending in what I can with the knowledge that I come from with those knowledges that maybe have not been paid attention to, short conversation and very much different knowledge than the one I'm speaking to you with at in. And I often think about how and why, if all this education I have received in Western degrees, and if I was to compare them or basically standardize them to, in this case, Lakota, how much of that can be applied and can it withstand being reinterpreted into Lakota? So what we do is we take the native people's knowledges and we turn them around to the advantage of English and the Western conceptualism, the philosophies, the religions, the science, and we look for the proof because that's the only way you can own is that there's proof, a deed, a title, when that proof is always changing. So it is the way of traditional knowledge for me because that reference of sustainable knowledge A reference point of sustainable knowledge goes back beyond any written history because oral history stays alive in the language. And why would such an intelligent, so-called intelligent civilization try to rid this land of many intelligent languages? So beautiful. So what removes beauty? It's certainly not beauty that that removes beauty, needless to say. Again, I'd like to thank Curtis Zuniga for joining me here on First Voices Radio. And you, Doksha Ake Wachikitelo. <laughs>